Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Well, as spring turns into summer, there are problems in the garden. We are going to solve your problems today on the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. We're going to be talking about fertilizers. What do you need to fertilize? What don't you need to fertilize? And which fertilizers do you use? And of the bugs in your garden, one of the more odiferous ones would be squash bugs and stink bugs. We will talk about your stinking, your, we'll talk about your stinking squash bugs. It's all coming up on episode 23 of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. And we're going to do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. With me today in the studio... Our favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, is here. Debbie, thanks for uh, coming out into the open. Yeah, yeah it's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to, to be in the same studio for it a change. It sure is. All right. It is that time of the year when people now realize gardening can be, if they've never gardened before, it's, it's the fun part because you're starting to harvest vegetables mm. and fruits, but you're also starting to see problems, and you also are very concerned about your little baby plants as they turn into teenagers and adults and you're wondering about fertilizers you hear all about fertilizers you see ads for fertilizers what about fertilizers and vegetables and fruits there sure are a lot of them out there that are available aren't there yeah and they all seem to have a very specific purpose but how can a plant tell you what they want yeah that's that's the time that i would apply fertilizer is when a plant tells me that it needs some fertilizer it needs some nutrition uh people say we feed plants we don't feed them we just give them nutrients and then they make their own food from that nutrients but the typical symptoms or the symptoms that get my back up and make me uh, want to do something like apply a fertilizer are uh, slow or absent growth the plant just sits there and doesn't do anything. That can be a lot of reasons, but lack of fertilizer can be one. Another symptom, rather, would be yellowing of old growth and small new growth. It's both things happening at the same time. The uh, when the plant the plant uses primarily nitrogen, which is the first number on any fertilizer bag, and that it, it uses it to make uh, chlorophyll, which makes the plant green. And so, if if it can't get enough out of the soil and bring it up through the roots, the plant will absorb it from the old leaves and move it up into the buds and produce new leaves out of it. But it's not a hundred percent efficient process, so the new leaves will be small. So when I see yellowing of old leaves and small new leaves, then I know that I my plants need some nitrogen. So that would be a fertilizer application. Nitrogen is probably the ingredient that is lacking in most soils because it gets used up so quickly. It gets used up quickly and it also moves. It's what we call volatile, meaning it can become a gas and, and disappear into the air. It moves with water so also. So when it rains, it washes out. When we irrigate, it washes out of the soil. And that we don't want to overuse it because it can wash into our water systems and cause pollution problems. Um, but it, it moves out of the garden pretty quickly. So, it, yes, we do need to apply that regularly. 
However, you can harm a plant further if you're using a strictly nitrogen fertilizer, especially a quick-release nitrogen fertilizer. Yes. And uh, we'll talk about that, too, a quick-release and slow-release. And when it comes to uh, adding nitrogen, you got to take into consideration the fact that uh, maybe some things are going to happen to the plant if you over-fertilize it with too much nitrogen, mm-hmm. such as a lot of weak new growth and a lack of fruiting. Right. Right. The The thing that causes nutritionally the thing that causes fruiting is a balance uh, between nitrogen and other nutrients uh, in the plant and if you have too not too much nitrogen that balance is laid off is off kilter and we end up with a lush green plant but no flowers or fruit and that brings up the other numbers that you're going to see on a fertilizer bag Uh, you're going to see three prominent numbers on that box or bag it'll say something like Maybe five two two or eight 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 or fifteen thirty twenty. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that we should get right to that. More is not necessarily better. Right. More, and we've learned this in the industry and and in agriculture and horticulture, kind of the hard way over time, over decades of time, that that more can lead to. Uh, toxicity in the plant. Toxicity is poisoning. It can lead to uh, pollution in our water systems in particular. Um, and so we have learned over time that we should be down in the single digits primarily. And a lot of the fertilizers that are single digit fertilizers are organic fertilizers. And those are considered usually slow release. Yes. So f- quick release means when you put it on, it's in a form that the plant can absorb right then and there. And if the plant needs it, plants have some ability to choose or restrict what they uh, absorb through their roots. And so if the plant needs it, it will absorb it. And if it doesn't need it, it'll wash right out or move out of the root system. Slow release, however, requires some action by nature, typically microorganisms that naturally live in the soil, uh, to break it down further and and into the form that the plant can absorb it. And the beauty of that is that the that action happens with typically is temperature controlled. And so if you have a cold spell, the process slows down. Well, if you have a cold spell, the rate of growth in the plant also slows down. If you have a warm spell, then that rate of, of breakdown of the slow-release fertilizers speeds up and the plant growth also speeds up. And so the two balance each other out. And there's much, much less chance of toxicity or poisoning in the plant from a slow-release fertilizer. Slow-release fertilizers, uh, as odd as it may sound, uh, are usually more expensive than quick-release fertilizer. And and don't let uh, that price tag fool you. A lot of the quick-release nitrogen fertilizers are ridiculously cheap. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of like uh, sulfate of ammonia, which yes. is what twenty one zero zero as far as the uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium content. Yes, and typically used only on lawns. Yeah, exactly. I have heard about people using sulfate of ammonia on corn, but even corn mm-hmm. is a fruiting crop. I've burned corn with sulfate <laughs> of ammonia in okay. my life. All right, <laughs> corn is a grass though, uh, and it is a it does. Uh, It is a fruiting crop, and it does use a lot of nitrogen, but I have burned it with sulfate of ammonia, yes. Let's explain what the three numbers mean. We talked about nitrogen and how that's growth, top growth, basically, green growth. Right. And then you've got the P and the K for phosphorus and potassium. Don't ask me why potassium is a K. 
I don't know that either. (laughs) (laughs) Phosphorus is typically thought of as, um, people will tell you it's for flower and fruit and root production, um, but it's for energy in the plant. And it, the plant has to produce a lot of food. Flowers and fruits and roots don't make their own food for the most part. There are a few green parts on flowers and a few green parts on fruit. that, And so maybe the skin is making some, some food, but um, they're uh, using food. They're parasites on the plant. The roots are never going to turn green. They're underground. Even if they were above ground, they wouldn't turn green. And so they never make their own food. And so the plant needs a lot of energy to, uh, to get the food to those places. And phosphorus is used for that. And potassium, I've heard, is all around. It's for the overall vigor of the plant. Right. So for disease resistance and and uh, can you see what <laughs> I'm making a uh, like the Hulk, you know, so sturdiness of the plant mm, for it to survive. Strong plant. Yes. Strong plant. Be strong. To survive cold, to, to survive heat, uh, to survive drought. Uh, yes, it is a, a for the sturdiness of the plant. Then you have all sorts of micronutrients, the macronutrients being the NPK, but then there are other ingredients. There's calcium, there's iron, there's magnesium, there's zinc. Right, and the micronutrients are called micronutrients because they're needed by the plant in minimal amounts, uh, micro amounts, very tiny amounts. But if they're not there, the plant will not complete its life cycle. A life cycle of a plant is grow from a seed, uh, produce a flower and fruit and a seed, and die. We don't always want it to do all of those things. Uh, In the vegetable garden, we typically do want it to flower and fruit, and eventually most of the vegetables do die. But we have learned mostly through, a lot of it was done with in laboratories where they eliminate a certain nutrient and then see what happens. Um, And the symptoms of the micronutrient deficiencies are all over the map and very difficult to diagnose in very uh, high-end, you know, meaning lots of money involved agriculture they will actually send in sample leaves to into a lab and have them sampled to see what nutrient might be missing. Most of us aren't willing to do that in the vegetable garden. And most of the time we don't need them, especially if we're using organic fertilizers, because organic fertilizers often contain micro amounts of many of these things. What about all these specialty fertilizers, fertilizers for tomatoes, fertilizers for squash, fertilizers for corn? Is it worth it? Or can you buy just a good general overall fertilizer for everything? You can buy a good general overall fertilizer for everything. So you don't have to pay the extra money for the marketing of the (laughs) others. Right. If you're totally confused, it might be worth... For instance, I will buy a citrus fertilizer. Sorry, Jerry. My husband maintains the citrus. I do most of the gardening horticulture at our house, but the citrus he maintains and and he, he fertilizes and he... Is most comfortable with the citrus. And citrus have in where we live have some micronutrient special needs, uh, things that they use a little bit more of that other plants don't. And so that has worked well. So sometimes using those specialty fertilizers gives us a feel, an extra comfortable feeling. And they typically do work. But no, you don't need one for every different plant. And I wanted to say that the 
you were mentioning that the organic fertilizers often cost more than the uh, and are slow release than the inorganic or synthetic would be the other word uh, fertilizers. The analysis of a fertilizer, which is the three numbers on the bag, means that that, that whatever's in that container, bag, box, bottle, whatever it is, is guaranteed to release that much. Uh, of the nutrient, that percentage, those numbers are percentages, that percentage of that nutrient uh, over the course of a year. Hmm. But many of the organic fertilizers stay on after that year. They still have an effect after that year. Well, and that's true if you read the directions, and you should always read and follow the label directions for any fertilizer you apply. And you may notice that with organic fertilizers, it may say apply once a month, whereas with synthetics, it might say apply every two weeks. Yes. The the synthetics tend to be water-soluble. We're watering the gardens or nature's doing it for us, and we're washing those nutrients right out through the root system, and so we have to keep reapplying them, where the, the organics tend to stick around more in the soil. And now the other question, when you're facing a row of fertilizers at the nursery, <laughs> what do you get? Do you get daunting. a li- Do you get a liquid? Do you get a bag? Do you get a box? Right. Right, and and it depends. Again, you you'll want to read the directions before you leave. It depends what's more convenient for you and your application technique. I like the liquids because I can Typically, they're diluted. You don't pour them right out of the bottle onto the um, root zone of the plant. So I can mix them up in a watering can and walk around and and give the plant some water and check on my garden while I'm doing it. Always good. I go out every morning to see what's going on in the garden, see if anything catastrophic happened overnight that I need to know about right before I have my morning tea. So, yes, spending time in the garden is a good thing. If you have a, a, a large area lots and lots of space that you need to fertilize you maybe it's easier to spread a powder or a granular type with a um, they make uh, spreaders that throw that out there like you see people doing potentially on a lawn Uh, sometimes that's more helpful I have to go with my favorite fertilizer. Yeah, please tell us about it. It's fish emulsion. Yeah. And it's a liquid, and yeah. it's it's like two tablespoons per gallon of water or one glug out of the big bottle into a one-gallon or two-gallon watering can. And like you say, you get to walk around your garden and check out the plants one by one. You may notice things like, oh, there's a water valve closed. I better open that <laughs> or th- things like that. And right. it, it, it's good quality time with the garden. Th- the downside to fish emulsion might be your neighbors because yes. they don't like the aroma. I, 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 I love the smell of fish emulsion in the morning. <laughs> I have not had a problem using it outdoors. Um, I did water my indoor plants with it once. And my husband wanted to know where the cat peed. Um <laughs> And we had to put up with that odor for about three days. Uh, so I never did that again. But, but outdoors, I don't find it a problem at all. Fish emulsion is an organically accepted fertilizer. Low NPK, 522 or 511, uh, depending on which uh, liquid version you buy. But uh, in, in the tests I have done, and these aren't peer-reviewed studies by any stretch of the imagination, but feeding the same types of plants in the same size containers, different fertilizers over a growing season, and then looking and weighing their root matter Ah, at the end. That's a little technical. Oh, yeah. And it it turns out that 
fish emulsion beats a lot of the big commercial brands mm -hmm. as far as the final overall vigor of the plant. And another thing I like about fish emulsion is it's sustainable. Uh, people like to use kelp or they like to use bat guano. And those are things that exist in nature that we are harvesting. And you can read both pros and cons about harvesting those things from nature. Uh, obviously, we are harvesting fish, but we also farm fish and we eat fish. And so it's the left. This emulsion is made from potentially from leftover parts of the uh, fish that are chopped up and used for for food. So we know how to farm fish. We can farm. And I understand they know how to farm kelp. I have never seen a kelp farm, but I understand that's a possibility, too. But I think that's kind of in its infancy. So I feel like I'm not robbing Peter to pay Paul when I fertilize with um, fish emulsion. Let's throw a big monkey wrench into this whole thing right now to wrap it up. Do you need to fertilize at all if you're using lots of mulch? It, you may not have to fertilize at all if you're using lots of mulch. C coming back to what we talked about at the beginning was when to fertilize, and that's when you see problems. When you, you see uh, lack of growth, when you see lots of green and no fruits or flowers, uh, when you see yellowing of older leaves and small new leaves. Those are the three big, in my book, uh, reasons to fertilize. But if you mulch, maybe you're just mulching the garden during the winter or cover cropping it somehow uh, and then growing it in the summer or mulching it all year round. Mulch breaks down over time if it's organic mulch and provides nutrients right back to the soil. And it builds up the earthworm population. Yes, too. which have their own provide their own source yes. of, of nutrients. Worm castings. Yes. Worm castings are available in bags, but you don't have to go pay that, and they're not cheap. Uh, so that that that's a definite wonderful source of of uh, fertilizer. Fertilizers, a very confusing topic. Basically, read and follow all label directions. Absolutely. Don't over apply. Let your plant be your guide. If it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. All right. There we go. Commercial, commercial, commercial. Commercial, commercial, commercial. You have a lot of commercials? No, just one. <laughs> oh, okay. It's not uncommon for tomato gardeners to get some rather interesting surprises this time of year. Now, they're pleasant surprises, usually in the form of a volunteer tomato plant. If you're a curious gardener such as myself... You just might want to grow it out to see what sort of tomato develops. However, that tomato plant may be popping up in an area where you don't want it to grow. And maybe all your garden area this time of year is filled with other vegetables and fruits. There is a solution. Dig it up carefully and transplant it to a large smart pot using a good quality potting soil. Place it in a sunny area prune it back a bit, keep the soil moist, and voila, you've got mystery tomatoes later in the summer. Smart Pots are the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container made in the USA. They're sturdy, easy-draining containers that'll last for years. Smart Pots are made with an easy-breathing fabric. It keeps them cooler than plastic pots. You're going to have a more successful tomato-growing experiment or whatever you're growing in the hot summer months. You want more information? Well, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And be sure to include that slash Fred part. That can get you a nice discount when you buy a smart pot. 
Smart Pots are available at many Ace and True Value hardware stores, local independent nurseries, and online at Amazon.com. Again, visit SmartPots.com slash Fred and get yourself a Smart Pot. Or two. Or three. Hey, how would you like to win your own Smart Pot? From June 16th through June 30th, one lucky winner can qualify to receive SmartPot's six-foot-long bed, a fabric container large enough to hold over 10 cubic feet of soil. It's 16 inches tall and 16 inches wide by about 6 feet long. That's enough room for a couple of tomato plants and a couple of pepper plants, or maybe one fantastic display of summer flowers. We're going to award the Smart Pot Long Bed to the best comment or review about Garden Basics with Farmer Fred that you post at the podcast service where you're listening to this show. And by best comment, I don't necessarily mean the kindest comment, uh, just the most creative comment. So when you're done listening to the show, leave a comment wherever you're listening, and you just might get yourself the Smart Pot Six Foot Long Bed. We'll announce the winner on the July 3rd edition of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Thank you. Time for a Q&A, a little question and answer. Debbie Flower, our favorite retired horticulture professor, is in the studio with us today. And Debbie Autumn writes in and she wants to know, how do you control stink bugs in your squash? What I want to know, Autumn, are you sure it's a stink bug? Maybe it's a squash bug. Right. They uh, are often mistaken for each other, uh, but their damage is very similar and they have similarities in their appearance. So I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if it were a squash bug. In fact, squash bugs go after what we call the cucurbits uh, and stink bugs do not. But they're true bugs. And the way true bugs are identified is the pattern on their back. They can be many colors. Color is not going to be your guide. Uh, they can be many colors, but they have uh, the way their wings, their outer wings, close over their back, produces an X on the back of the pl- of the of the insect. So then you have a true bug. There are some good beneficial true bugs, but if you're seeing the damage in your plants in your garden, then you probably have one that's not a beneficial true bug. And those would be uh, the damage would be um, spots. Uh, often yellow with maybe a, a ring around them. Uh, it could be... Is that on, on the leaves? On the leaves of mm-hmm. the cucurbits. But it could, and uh, other bugs st- that damage... True bugs that damage plants will uh, do it on the fruit. What are other examples of cucurbits besides zucchini squash? Zucchini squash, um, melons, cucumbers, pumpkin, uh, all of those big-leaved sort of viney or you can buy the bush version, plants. Interesting, too, about stink bugs is you may have them on your tomatoes, and right. the, the damage you see from stink bugs on your tomatoes is like yellow blotching on the skin. Right. Fruit's still edible. The little spots may be a little tougher, uh, physically tougher, um, but it's it does reduce their growth because the stink bug is sucking the, uh, or the true bug is sucking the, uh, sap out of the out of the plant and taking some for itself. Stink bugs, squash bugs, they can both be controlled the same ways, and and part of the controlling them is cleanup. Yes, we're talking mulch <laughs> can provide them a place to live. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, but um, they like weeds too. Right, I think that's the bigger the bigger source of their population is in in weeds, uh, and I notice a big difference in the population of true bugs in my yard when uh, my neighbor 
does mow the back 40 weedy part of their yard, which abuts my yard, and when that my neighbor does not mow that part. When they mow, then I don't have the population in my yard of, of the true bugs. When they don't mow, it gives the true bugs a place to live, to have their babies, to grow up, to spend the winter, and, and then uh, when they need something to eat, they come over to my yard to do their eating. But in uh, Autumn's case, with uh, the squash bugs uh, on her squash, she probably sees them, especially early in the morning. They're less active then and tend to be still. Right. Their their, uh, level of activity is regulated by air temperature. And there's going to be adults. There's going to be children. You may see (laughs) egg masses on the underside of the leaves, but you may see a lot of garden good guys as well. Yeah, they... well, you were talking about control. Control is the same for the stink bug and the squash bug. And it's difficult if we're doing all the control ourselves as humans. Uh, we pick them off. So that's a morning job, a cool weather job. Uh, if you're going around watering, you may flip over the leaves to check for eggs. But boy, that would be a time consuming job. Yeah. The other way to control them would be to uh, invite the beneficials in. Mm-hmm. Yep, invite the beneficials in with a whole host of, of plants because, yeah, you, you've got beneficials going after the bad bugs, but they need a place to live and raise their families, mm-hmm. and they like certain plants. They sure do. And you're looking at, uh, I, I believe you referred to this particular uh, beneficial that attacks squash bugs as the... It's a wasp. Uh, and people sometimes, when I say it's a wasp, rear back. They're maybe allergic to wasps. They uh, don't like wasps. They don't like um, the wasps or yellow jackets visiting their picnics, whatever. This is not, not that kind of a wasp. This is a very, very, very small wasp. If it's a quarter of an inch, that's big. Usually they're smaller than that. And they... Um, they get a nice uh, uh, nectar or sweet meal out of a flower, and then they fly over to the true bugs, and they lay their eggs inside the live true bug. I've seen that movie. Yeah, yeah. it's it's fun to watch. <laughs> I've actually seen it happen a couple of times in the garden. you got to know what you're looking for and spend time out there doing it. Uh, and the eggs hatch inside the true bug, and then they eat the bug from the inside out delightful yeah yes but like we say the 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 mini wasps the attacking wasps and all those wasps they like other plants uh around them and there's a, a whole host of especially a lot of herb type plants that they like to be around in things like a dill caraway coriander fennel even sweet alyssum for a ground cover, parsley. One of the best plant lists I know of for attracting beneficial insects happens to be at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page. We'll have a link to it in the show notes where you can find all sorts of companion plants that go well to attract beneficial insects to your yard. Now, getting back to uh, the, the quick and the dirty method of getting rid of, dis, of the stink bugs or the squash bugs, Debbie, uh, maybe just uh, use your hand and yes. shovel them into a bucket of soapy water. Yes, a good morning activity. Exactly. And that usually works. Uh, you don't want to squish them between your fingers. You can if you want, because your fingers will stink. Right. They are uh, even the squash bug. The stink bugs are called stink bugs because they stink when you squash them. Even the squash bugs stink as well. All right. So basically control them by hand. You can even dedicate a little vacuum cleaner 
to um, I've never done that. That's, that a, that's your specialty. Well, that it has to be a dedicated <laughs> vacuum cleaner because yes. it's going to stink to high holy. Right. You know what? And it's like, right. Just uh, if you want to. But uh, that bucket of soapy water works just fine to uh, pick them off, especially in the morning. So, Autumn, uh, that big bucket of soapy water uh, attract beneficial insects to your yard. Uh, that should do the trick. The good news is it doesn't really affect the quality of the produce itself. Right. Absolutely true. So good luck, Autumn. Debbie Flower, it's a pleasure having you here in the studio with us. It was us. great to see the studio. I'm happy to be here. All right. We'll do it again. All right. Thanks for listening to Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's available on many podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, and many more. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave a comment or a rating. That helps us decide which garden topics you'd like to see addressed. And again, thank you.